Welcome and thank you for joining us here at the Fearless Paranoia Podcast, where we seek to demystify the complex world of cybersecurity. I am Brian, the cybersecurity attorney. And I'm Ryan, and I'm a cybersecurity architect. And we are here to help everybody out try to understand what's going on in cybersecurity. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, something that, that has been in the news, but if you're not in cybersecurity or big into tech, it may not have gotten your attention, and it relates to events concerning the password manager LastPass. Now, I'm not going to speak for Ryan here, but when I say, regardless what is said or discussed in this episode, I am a huge, huge supporter of and proponent of password managers. I think that there's literally no comparison to the security that they give. And it actually, in my opinion, is one of the rare cybersecurity advancements that not only increases your security, but also increases convenience. Ryan, do you have any word on that as well? No, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the biggest tragedies that will end up coming out of what happened to LastPass is is that there's going to be people that are just going to say, see, I told you so. You should put all your stuff, all your eggs in one basket, all your passwords in one spot. This is what happens. This is what you get. And they're going to go back to writing down their stuff on a physical notebook at their desk, waiting to have coffee spilled on it or waiting to be picked up or, you know, waiting for something worse to happen. Mm-hmm. Password managers are a phenomenal tool. Yes, it does come with potential risks, just like everything else does in the cybersecurity space. But this really, and we'll get into this later in the conversation, this really was not a worst case scenario, but it was starting to kind of inch heavily in that direction. And it wasn't because of password managers, the concept behind them or their general use. It came down to bad practices by the producer of the specific password manager. Outside of that, I would say that absolutely please work towards password and identity best practices. Please use a password manager and produce good, strong passwords. And hopefully you run into better luck than (laughs) anyone knows with LastPass. And one other important thing to bear in mind, we're going to be talking here a little bit about the breach and the timeline of events. And there's a lot of editorial discussion about what happened, why LastPass made some of the decisions they made, and how it made this a really bad breach. We're not going to be focusing on that with maybe a narrow exception later on in the episode. We're focusing on what you need to do following the breach and what the kind of things the breach exposed and how you can make sure you're protected. Not just if you're a LastPass user, but specifically if you are a LastPass user, you really need to be paying attention to this stuff. But what I will do is I will include some links in the resources on the Fearless Paranoia website that can take you to some discussions about some editorial analysis. But the first thing I want to do is talk about the timeline of events here. And I want to talk about three essential dates here. The first one is in August of 2022. This is when we found out about a breach from LastPass. And the public announcements at the time were very clear there was source code from LastPass was accessed, but this is key, no customer data was taken, all right? Fast forward to December 1st, 2022. We then received subsequent information from LastPass that some customer data may have been accessed, but really nothing more than that. Then fast forward to December 22nd, 2022, also known as one of those dates where no one is left in the IT department, but LastPass on their own way out the door to their own holiday celebrations released what was a stunner of an announcement. So yes, customer data had been taken in what they called the second breach, and that data included full backups of all of the vaults in the LastPass system. But don't worry, they haven't broken the encryption. Ryan, walk us through what we now know, or you know, at least what we think we know, happened in these three announcements that LastPass made. Absolutely. So um, what this really stems down to is the fact that incident response is a tough thing to do. There's no like push button that just kind of says, hey, where is everything that's impacted and where all have they been? And so it takes a lot of time to really kind of dig out 
all of these different persistence points and different activities that occur on the network. And so incident response is usually a labor of a, a serious period of time. So when the first date that you mentioned at the end of summer last year occurred, that's most likely when the first actual notices of an intrusion were picked up by somebody or some system or something. At some point, somebody made a mistake and moved loudly inside the network. At some point, they probably started having their activity discovered and isolated as well. But at that point, again, you're, you're usually steps behind the threat actor at that point. They're already starting to target the things that they're after and look for opportunity to get at that data or get at those systems. Real quick, just to talk about incident response in general, um, incident response is an interesting beast all on its own. So when you first identify an incident occurring at a business, a lot of businesses, especially when you get to be the size of a company like LastPass, there's a lot of moving pieces in businesses nowadays. And so the threat actors have gotten really good at this type of lateral movement at persistence and driving into those areas. And they know what they want as well. And PII, customer data, is a huge target because it opens up a lot of opportunities for them, both to monetize the data directly or to use it to pivot into other things. Source code is obviously a big one. Source code is great because you can sometimes sell it. You can sometimes use it to look for new opportunities, new zero days, new ways to fork the software and maybe make money by producing a competitor. I mean, there's all a variety of different things. And so there's no doubt that there was for sure persistence probably laid during the late summer months, early autumn. And as the incident response activities were continuing to go on at LastPass, they did their initial reporting, as is required by numerous different regulatory agencies. And that's probably what they knew at the time. Over time, they probably started digging in heavier and following the tracks of these threat actors through their system and eventually came across access into these backup systems. I think there's going to be a lot of speculation in this space until incident response documentation comes out or until an actual statement comes out stating exactly what happened. If It's all going to be a little bit speculative. Yeah, what's interesting that you just mentioned that the lateral movement, and I think I've read some of that, that there's a lot of suspicion that's what happened here. I would encourage our listeners to actually go back and listen to our episode discussing the Uber breach where the hacker didn't take anything and decided to talk to the media. And the result is that we have this great blueprint for how a hacker would gain access to these systems by moving laterally. In that particular case, he literally convinced someone on Uber's Slack messenger program to allow user authentication. And there's evidence that that's basically what happened here is that the access to the vaults only became successful when through a lateral movement, they gained the authorization. And it was that second part, whether it's the second breach or 1A or second part of the first breach is when they took what is what really got everyone's attention here, the backups of the vaults. There was a couple things, apparently, you know, again, if source code is stolen, that affects the company, that affects the software, and to some extent the users, but it depends on how that's used, whether or not it has user-level impact. If a user's personal data is stolen, that now has direct user-level impact. Obviously, something as important as the actual vaults that we go to them to protect. So we expect them to be the experts in the field and to be good stewards of that data. And so we hand it to them, hopefully also knowing that if that data is to be stored somewhere, that data would be protected the way that it should be. And it was to, some limited, to, to some limited extent. Pieces of it were. We're going to get to that here in just a second. But the crux of this is that these hackers, through what was obviously a long thought out and long planned system of penetration, persistence, and theft, 
the holy grail of LastPass's data is these vaults. So we're going to shift into our discussion of what you need to do. Now, this is primarily intended for subscribers of LastPass, three things that you absolutely need to do, but it actually is helpful to anyone with a password manager because this type of response could apply if a hacker got really any access to your personal website use data. So we're going to talk about three things that need to be done. First, change all your passwords. Two, you have to be much more aware of a heightened social engineering phishing risk that you are now at. And three, we all need to be very, very reluctant to engage in blaming the victim in this particular case. We'll get into what that means when we get to the topic. So I just want to start with changing all your passwords. So Ryan, what was taken was a backup password vault. What did they actually get, the hackers? Most everything. I mean, if you <laughs> whatever you have stored inside your vault, so this would be your passwords, potentially credit card information, other identities, saved notes, bookmarks. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. For more information on keeping yourself, your family, and your company protected against cyber threats, check out the Resilient Cybersecurity and Data Privacy blog. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like and subscribe using any of your favorite podcast platforms. Also, please share this podcast with anyone you think would find it helpful or useful. We rely on listeners like you to help get the word out about this show, and we appreciate the support. Now, time for some more cybersecurity. And just to be clear here, they did not hack or get access to the encryption. They operate in what's called a, a zero knowledge, which quite frankly, had they had anyone outside of tech give a piece of advice on whether they want to be called the zero knowledge company, they may have rethought that. It was a play on zero trust, but they claim to have zero knowledge of your master password, which is true. They don't have it. So that's important to note. Whatever was encrypted in your vault is still encrypted unless they crack the encryption or get your master password. But that's where the other shoe drops. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely right. So the problem now is twofold. With a password manager like LastPass, where they allow uh, seamless access between devices, that means that at some point in time, they have to have a copy of all of that to be able to offer that up as a service. Some password managers are solely offline, but they're not as usable. That's what made LastPass really great. But that same piece that made LastPass really great meant that they had to keep a copy of that data. And that's what ultimately did this in here was they used a cloud storage host to to house that data in it. We'll call it encrypted-ish format. I got to stop you there because I think that this is what caught most people, including every single IT person who I've seen, heard from, or read about this breach. None of them were aware of the ish part. What does it mean that the information was encrypted-ish, in your words? Well, I think that term's just really fun and current. But outside of the tangents we go off on, encrypted-ish, when we get to talking about LastPass, means that vault information is encrypted. What LastPass did, though, is they made what we in the business world would call an executive decision somewhere along the way to only encrypt what they deemed was probably the most important data. Or, and again, that's a little bit of an assumption, so I will put the disclaimer there. We don't have the minutes of the meeting where they made that decision. Yeah, so they made the decision most likely balancing security versus usability. The more you can limit that decrypting, re-encrypting of that data over and over again, the faster that connection occurs. But in this case, when your whole purpose behind your tool is 
security, there should be no balance. If it's slightly unusable, then that's what you get for using a fully encrypted cloud-capable password manager, and that's, I think, a trade-off that most people would be fine accepting. But in this case, LastPass made the decision for us and never really said, you know, that we're not really encrypting what we deem is the good stuff. They just kind of said, yeah, our stuff's encrypted, and that was the stance. And so I think that people made an assumption, which was obviously wrong, that everything was like some of the others are, like there's an open source tool out there right now, a big competitor of LastPass. Pass that is one that a lot of people are flocking to, but they actively tell you we encrypt every single field. This is not cloud offered, so there's no copy of this anywhere except the copy that you have. They followed those same practices that LastPass just kind of strayed away from for some mm-hmm. reason. But I would imagine it was most likely a balanced decision, and obviously it's one that's coming back to bite them and even harder bite a lot of their customers because, to your point, it's all the encrypted ish data in there, is all the stuff that we have to worry about being a problem maybe months, years from now as some of those vaults start to get popped. That's the reason why we're talking about the first to change your passwords is that the bottom line is that these vault backups they have are still encrypted, but they're only encrypted until the people who have them are able to break past the encryption. Changing your master password is not going to affect what was in those vaults. They have them as of the date they were taken. Therefore, you can't do anything about what's in there. So first and foremost, prevent there being an issue with them eventually cracking whatever your master password was by changing them all. And even before you go change all the rest of them, change the master password first, then go change all the rest of them. The main reason being, if, say, they decide that, Brian, your LastPass user and your password vault is really impressive to us because we need to take over fearlessparanoia.com because it's a great website and we can use it for all sorts of purposes. So, and all seven people who have seen it, but yeah, they'll they'll be upset. And so they come tearing after your account. Well, as soon as they do crack your account, not only do they have all your other passwords too, but if you haven't changed your master password, that means they're just logging into your LastPass account right behind all the new passwords that you're resetting also. Yeah, what a gift that would be to give to the to the hackers, yeah. If you secure that one first, even if they crack that later, at least they can't get into all the changes you've made since then. So now you're fighting against the race of update all the rest of your stuff. But to piggyback on your conversation, number one, change all your passwords. But 1A, use this as a good opportunity to start deprecating some of your old accounts. Go through all that crap that you have in LastPass. I have, I have like 600 entries in my password manager. Go through and do some hygiene and just throw away all the old crap because all of that old identity, all of that old internet presence is going to be stuff that's going to come back to bite you especially if you're never going to use it again, go shut it down or at least make sure that you're not sharing anything anywhere near there. Yeah, let me jump in actually and say before you shut it down, log into those sites if you still can and delete your account. And even if it's possible, send, submit a request for them to delete all of your data. Most websites now will comply with the CCPA requirements that allow users to request their data to be deleted. GDPR requires the same thing. And even though it's not binding here in the US, a lot of companies will simply do it because it's too hard to have multiple regimes. So don't just delete your old files in there, but close and delete your accounts with all these sites and ask them to delete your data. Yeah, absolutely. Limit your presence where you can, where it makes sense to, where you're for sure not going to use anything again. And then make sure you protect all of the stuff that is critical. Make sure you take all of those really important accounts. Your email is going to be a far more important account than almost anything else because that's where all of your password reset structure comes through. That's where a lot of your identity shift can occur. But take those, take your bank accounts, strong passwords, all unique passwords, 
preferably starting a password manager. LastPass has a great password generator. It can generate a 20-character strong password for you. And one of the most important features that password managers have is they make changing and updating your passwords relatively easy. So use that feature. Get those passwords changed. And for those times when we have to worry about people getting a hold of our passwords, put multiple factors of authentication on all your accounts because you know what? If they do break it all your LastPass passwords and they've got everything else and they go and they hit your U.S. bank account and then all of a sudden they get a multi-factor prompt, now it doesn't even matter that they had your password because now they have another hurdle to jump over before they can get in there and every one of those hurdles is enough of a deterrent to usually send them down an easier path in a lot of cases and so just keep following smart practices with this stuff and then things like the LastPass breach will turn into an inconvenience rather than a, a catastrophe. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. We're here to help make the complex language of cybersecurity understandable. So if there are topics or issues that you'd like Ryan and I to break down in an episode, send us an email at info at fearlessparanoia.com or reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn. For more information about today's episode, be sure to check out fearlessparanoia.com where you'll find a full transcript as well as links to helpful resources and any research and reports discussed during the episode. While you're there, check out our other posts and podcasts as well as additional helpful resources for learning about cybersecurity. Now back to the show. That leads well into our next tip that you need to be much more aware of the social engineering risk because guess what? Let's say they do run into that situation where they've got a multi-factor authentication block that they're dealing with. Their next step, let's just say it's a bank account. Banks are still willing to send out two-factor authentication to cell phone numbers. So what are these hackers going to do? They're going to try to social engineer their way into getting access to your phone. Now, one of the biggest things that was not encrypted in all of these vaults was the URLs of all of these sites. So your passwords, yes, they were encrypted. The URLs were not. Now these hackers have a massive list of websites that they know that not only did you go to, but that you had accounts in. Known accounts on. Yeah. And there's also reporting that they had access to all of the IP addresses at which these accounts were accessed. Now, how effectively usable that is, Ryan, I'll let you discuss that, but it does potentially give location information where you were when you accessed them. So this is a big deal you need to be much more vigilant to the social engineering risk. Brian, how valuable is this information for social engineering purposes? I'll start with the easiest ones to kind of rule out. I think the IP information kind of scares a lot of people. It might be usable to gain some further intelligence about stuff like what cell service somebody uses or something to try and really get past MFA. You know, if you're going to be a heavily targeted person, that's more usable for the average general user. A lot of those, it might be able to give up who your ISP is or who your phone carrier is outside of that. I think it shouldn't be a major issue. But the rest of that data is all very usable and very important for the reasons you mentioned. The URLs, why that was unencrypted is absolutely probably one of the biggest slaps in the face in this entire deal. To me, being in cybersecurity, just knowing that if you can gain usable intel and recon on somebody's accounts, it helps you a lot with being able to target your efforts. Like you said, if people need to get past MFA, if they want to try and target you for password resetting, all they'd have to do is say, hey, there's a problem with a password for your Wells Fargo account because they saw that you have a Wells Fargo entry. And then they craft up a fancy email to a phishing site they have with Wells Fargo saying, hey, you need to reset your password. Somebody clicks it. It brings up a really crafty Wells Fargo page. They punch in their password and then right away the threat actor goes to Wells Fargo site, logs into your account, changes your password, updates all your security information, and then plays around in your account before you take the time to recognize what happened, get a hold of Wells Fargo. And there's a lot of damage that can be done in those minutes leading up to that. These guys are 
pretty good at what they do, and you would be surprised how convincing a mock-up they can make of a website. Now they know all of the websites that you as a user have an account at and can target them that way. You can even take it to the next level person who has the Ashley Madison and Pornhub and the, the embarrassing sites in your list. Yeah. Makes you wide open for blackmail. Absolutely. So yeah, we'll see a lot of interesting password spraying and credential stuffing coming out of this. We will see a lot of doxing coming out of this because of what you just mentioned there. It'll be really interesting to see what all the different threat actors try and pivot to to use from this data set. But this was a significant data set, especially if somebody starts actively finding uh, an effective or an efficient way to start decrypting some of these vaults quickly. I think the fact that the majority of the passwords and notes that were encrypted in the vaults, that time frame and the level of that encryption will at this point hopefully give everybody enough time if they're being proactive right now to start bouncing all of their things before that actually becomes a major concern. And that kind of leads me into the last thing. You have to not allow LastPass to blame the victim. I'll link to their actual PR reports in the episode resources, but in their official statements, one of the things that LastPass did was declare that the encryption would take a hacker three million years to break. But they added a very important caveat. If you followed their recommended process for a password, in that I think it was 12 characters or longer and that had to meet certain requirements. But here's the thing. That particular recommendation started in 2018. If you created a LastPass account before 2018, it was not mandatory. They also never prompted you to update your password to meet this new standard by advertising that passwords that complied with their recommendations would take this long to crack. They are by omission stating that the ones that are cracked in less time did not meet their recommendations and therefore the fault is on the people who did not follow their recommendations for a strong password. That is, in my personal opinion, an abhorrent way of treating this particular situation. It also has the effect of lessening the urgency for doing those things that we've already discussed in this episode. If you think it's going to take 3 million years to hack your account, you're not going to be in a big rush to fix all your passwords. We have to keep the blame for this where it belongs, which is on the business decision. And I'm again, I'm assuming business decision of LastPass for failing to adequately secure the vaults and for failing to encrypt the information in the vaults. Announcing that all of the valuable information your company holds has been stolen on December 22nd in an announcement that may have the effect of making people think think it's less serious than it is, is a critical error and one that, quite frankly, is something that probably will and should come up in both regulatory investigations of this breach and in lawsuits that will inevitably come from this. So but I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Uh, Ryan, did you have anything you wanted to discuss on that particular issue? I mean, I, th- I think you're right. I think that LastPass and any company that runs into a similar issue like this going forward is going to need to accept ownership of their portion of the failure. And in this case here, the entire arrangement with LastPass between a user and LastPass is for LastPass to securely hold all of this data and make it usable to the user as a service in a way that they will be the only one able to make use of it. Just based on that alone, LastPass obviously failed in that aspect. They allowed that data to fall into other hands through bad practices. They allowed that data to be secured at a lesser standard than what it should have been, especially considering the usefulness of that data. And so, yeah, failures across the board, I think that it's good for them to turn around and offer recommendations to users on how to keep their data safe, but not to say that there's any reduction in liability or reduction in ownership of this incident on their part, should anything come from that. Again, they should have actively communicated to all their users at this point, so anyone who is still sitting on one of those 
old vaults should absolutely start making quick updates now. And if you are one of those people and you get popped six months from now, now that blame starts to fall a little bit closer to your side due to inaction. But at this point, LastPass is obviously trying to cover for themselves in the midst of a really rough time, which you can't blame themselves for. But at the same point, you're going to come out of this a lot stronger in the end if you own up to it and just work with everybody to make sure that you get your problems sorted out and you work with them to mitigate any potential concerns or risks that your users might have due to your due to your failure at this point. All right. Well, that's it for us on this episode of Fearless Paranoia. You can find the links to the additional resources I discussed at our website, fearlessparanoia.com. You can go to the, the post for this particular episode. We will also find a full transcript of the entire diatribe that I went on just a minute ago, plus you know the helpful stuff that Ryan actually shared. I want to thank you for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. You can reach out to us on the website and on social media to pose any topics that you'd like for us to talk about. On behalf of Ryan, I'm Brian. We are here for Fearless Paranoia. We hope that we will see you again next time. Thanks.